Hey there, welcome to Groundbreakers, a bi-weekly podcast that explores transformations in where, how, and why we work, and the intersection of DEIB within our workplaces and spaces. I'm your host, Shelley Wright, Chief Diversity Officer at Unispace. With each episode of Groundbreakers, I'll be talking to fascinating people, all of them groundbreakers in their industries. We won't have all of the answers, but we'll have some provocative and pretty entertaining conversations. We have an exciting show for y'all today. We'll be talking to Wendy Mann, the CEO of Crew, which is the Commercial Real Estate Women Network. I'm pretty darn excited for today's conversation. Welcome to Groundbreakers, Wendy. Well, thank you, Shelley. I'm so delighted to be here. How long could this go? This could go for hours, couldn't it? I, I, It really could. I almost feel like I wish I was sitting next to you instead of across the screen from you because we'd be having uh, coffee and giggles and so much to talk about. So very exciting. Um, and hopefully we'll hit on a lot of things that will um, kind of give people some things to think about. And you and I had such such great synergy. I think it's going to be wonderful. So thank you again. Absolutely. Here's to the in-person sit-down at some point when the world gets less weird, right? Um, Wendy, let me give our listeners a little bit more background on you. As I mentioned, Wendy Mann is the CEO of Crew Network and president of the Crew Network Foundation. As the CEO, Wendy is passionately committed to the organization's mission to transform the commercial real estate industry by advancing women. As president of Crew's Network Foundation, Wendy leads the only foundation dedicated solely to creating a pipeline of diverse talent for the industry and supporting women's careers in commercial real estate. With a career spanning nearly 30 years in various leadership roles, Wendy believes that organizations thrive when members' needs are top priority and chapters have the tools and resources they need to be successful. It's a lot. You've done a lot, and we're going to dig into it. Wendy, let me let me start with this. You grew up in rural Pennsylvania, which is one of the things you and I connected on. I grew up in rural Kansas. And you set out to the big city at a pretty young age. And if my research about you is correct, which I've done a deep, deep dive on you, um, you had aspirations uh, to be a journalist. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. Um, I grew up in this little town, and the only female role models I really saw um, on television were uh, reporters. And um, and I would watch Barbara Walters, one of the first women to make it to the the some of the top jobs. And, and but the other thing was, I loved watching the morning shows as well. And I thought, what a cool job that would be to have a job where you meet new people all the time, and you get to ask them questions. And I realized right. that, uh, you know, not at the time, because in, in my youth, I was not as in touch with who I was. But it, later that it was about curiosity, that I think because I grew up maybe in such a small microcosm of the world that I was always looking out going, well, I wonder what else is out there. I wonder who else is out there. And I think journalism put me on that path to be able to discover. And, you know, they say about journalists, they know a little bit about a lot of things, but not a lot about anything. And I thought, well, that's okay with me. I'm okay with knowing (laughs) a little bit about a lot of things. So that was my goal when I set off for college was to, um, to become a journalist and go explore the world. Yeah, and no doubt you are actually, you know, you're you're leaning into that curiosity. It's it's really the heart and soul of your work. Um, mm-hmm. And you're, you know, obviously a great writer. I want to talk to you later about whether or not you're going to write a book. I hope you do. I'm going to nudge you. I'm going to be that naggy friend that texts oh, you every. Oh, please be that. Please be my nudger. <laughs> I will. I will be your nudger in chief, Wendy. Um, you know, for for some reason, also, you know, you're you found a niche in the. I guess it could be called the association profession. Mm-hmm. Um, you began at a, at a couple of chambers of commerce, the NTCA, obviously, crew. What is it about this kind of work? that speaks to you? Yeah. Well, you know, when I, I ended up leaving my my um, small town and going to college thinking I was going into like leaving the dust of that small town off my, my shoes, you know, and I was going to go to right. this big place. And I ended up at a small liberal arts college in um, the southern tier of New York, St. Bonaventure, where the population of the school was the, the size of the population of my hometown. So after four years, I thought, 
I'm getting the heck out of here now. And I'm going yeah. to the big city to Washington, D.C. And when I arrived here, I realized that I couldn't get a job in journalism. Um, I just wouldn't be able to because to do what Barbara Walters did, I would have to go back to a rural town. And I just I just knew that I wanted to be in the city. So at that point, I really didn't know what direction my career would take. And and I think what I found in in reflection, looking back over those years, is I ended up in a place that allowed me to do that meet new people and ask questions kind of work yeah. in a yeah. different area, in a different um, profession, if you will. And for those of you who don't know, association executive as a profession is it's a huge opportunity um, to work in these organizations because there's an association for everything. And um, I learned a little bit about a lot of things and I don't know a lot about anything, but, um, but I think what drove me to that was number one, I needed a job. I mean, I came yeah. out, I came yeah. to DC with a few hundred bucks in my pocket and a car filled, filled with my lifelong belongings. And yeah. I need wait, to wait, what kind of car was it? Oh my gosh! Did uh, it, I will tell you it was an AMC from wait, from wait. Was, yes the AMC. I had Concord? an AMC. Pardon me. Was it an AMC Concord? Because that was my first car. No, it wasn't. And a it Concord. was yellow, and we it called it was, the banana. Mine was. Oh yeah, I remember that car. Mine was an AMC hatchback, and um, I can't remember what if, if there was another name to it. I don't know what it was, but yes, that was my first car. And it got me to D.C. It actually never made it out of D.C. because (laughs) it didn't have a lot of life in it. But, yes, so that's so interesting. Yeah, Mine mine never made it out of Nashville. It got (laughs) me to Nashville, and then I broke down on I-40. And that is really crazy. That's a crazy coincidence because most people don't even know what an AMC is. No, no, that is funny. And all my friends made fun of my little AMC. But you know what? It did the job it had to do to get me where I needed to go. So so my point is just that I think in, in reflection that associations are a place also where you can feed your curiosity. And unlike corporate America, I think it's not so rigid. Like I could cross so many lines and right, right. in terms of functional areas that I was in. So I developed this great range because I think driven by my curiosity, I would say, OK, I would I started out in the fundraising arena and I really wanted to move into communication. So the next job I took, I took a job that was a little fundraising but a lot of communications. And so it allowed me to keep kind of moving. And then I did some government relations because a play, you know, I got hired in a job that they wanted someone to do PR, government relations, and run a foundation. And so associations were sort of like that. They'd like find one person to do lots of different things. And that yeah. fed me. I mean, that was my yeah. dream come true was, I, you know, I could go in and be in multiple areas. Um, so I feel like that was such a great opportunity. If I couldn't be Barbara Walters, I could be Wendy effing man and do it really well. Sorry. I love it. Do you have to beat th- do you have to bleep you, that out? No, you can actually say the whole wor- word. You can say Wendy fucking man. You can. We'll just maybe yeah. we'll bleep it. Caroline's having a heart attack right now. Um, um so in that association association work, you make a really good point that 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 there's an association for everything in every industry and in every sector. How do you remember when you realized, oh, business is business, no matter what the business is? Do you remember when that kind of occurred to you? Um, I don't. Or did it? You know, I don't remember when that occurred to me. Well, let me say this. My first job out of college was with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and that actually fed my deep love of the business world every day. I, I, I know this is a weird thing to remember, but I remember every day getting the Wall Street Journal and being like, just a, going, oh my gosh, this is happening. That's happening. What does that mean? Why is that? And I just really grew to love. And that wasn't something I learned in college. It wasn't something I learned in school. It was, um, it was just something that came to me, but was fed by that same curiosity and that same interest mm-hmm. in um, just knowing. I, I guess yeah. maybe you could call me a gatherer of information. And that might be that yeah. small town upbringing as well. Like I didn't know what I didn't know. I was so grew up so in a, such a small world um, yeah. that I was I still was feeding my need to know what was going on in, in the world. But Wendy, you know, that's like you're a, a rare bird. My hometown had a thousand people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, too knew there was something or hoped there was something different and bigger and 
more um, unique out there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's because I was a little closeted queer kid and I wanted to, you know, uh, dream about a place where I could, you know, have be myself or feel safer. Mm-hmm. But it's unusual for you, a young kid from a rural town in Pennsylvania, to even have an awareness that you know, or and that curiosity. What else is happening around around the world? I want in on it. I want to know it. Right. I want to crack open the Wall Street Journal. Um, I got to believe some of that probably came from a parent or a neighbor or an aunt. Mm-hmm. Who was that that inspired that curiosity in you? Yeah, you know that's a, that's a good question. Well, first I'm going to tell you the answer of what and then who. How about that? Um, yeah, yeah. Just just two words that you need to know, Shelley. That. I don't know if I, if I mentioned this to you before, but um, Harlequin Romance, okay? When I was, I will never forget locking myself in my teenage bedroom in, in seventh and eighth grade and discovering Harlequin Romance. And I know people will laugh at this, but I was a really small town girl and my parents, yeah. um, you know, they didn't go to college. We never left town. Like a vacation to us was a trip to the ice cream store up the road, you know? Yep. And yep. so yep. Um, uh, so for me, what I realized by reading Harlequin Romance, number one was these, you know, and yes, it was a romance story and all of that. But for me, it was a lens to the world because there were these strong, independent women that were central to the story that, yeah, they had a guy, but they were going to make it on their own. They were going to do something. And they traveled to the Jamaican plantation and, and started a sugar plant, whatever it was. That's the one I remember. Right. Um, but whatever it was, was, you know, um, it was so impactful to me to feed that curiosity. It, it, it said to me, you know, in, in 17th century um, England, there were the dukes and the earls and and what could mm-hmm. you do then as a woman? And so it opened my mind to the w- limitations for women. And I was, you know, of course, shocked that women couldn't do this or that. And then it also opened up the opportunities. And so that was first and foremost. And I would say that who was really my mother. And I think part of what drove that, uh, and I I didn't know this at the time, but I see it now, is that my mother was a very, very smart young woman, a teenager. She was on the honor roll in high school, and um, yeah. she was the hope of her family, if you will. And she ended up getting mm-hmm. pregnant at 17 to my father, and she dropped out of school, and she never pursued, well, both her and her family's dreams for herself. And I wonder now, in hindsight, never really had this conversation with her, if she fed part of my curiosity and and encouragement mm-hmm. because it was something that she had never had yeah. and um and and I will say she loved my father and they stayed together their whole life and they are just a, a, mm-hmm. a really great love story but I also feel like that um perhaps in in her children and um not all of us you know we're raised the same way but we all com- become the individuals we are but i really think that her that some of what she talked about and the stories she told me about her family um were probably part of that led to not that they ever had anything more than our family um or did more but just that it was possible maybe that's what she instilled yeah. in me that things were possible and i didn't have to settle um and i think that yeah. and, and my father you know my father and i were super close and he always saw um, my potential and fed my the, his pride in me and his support of me was just unlimited. And so I think yeah. she made me curious in some ways and he made me confident in many ways. Incredible. Okay, that's really like my heart is all swelled up right now. Um, to the Harlequin romance <laughs> anecdote, this is the greatest groundbreakers episode of all time because we've done – I just – I love it. And I don't think I've ever – considered those books, you know, I think you're right. They get a kind of a bad rap um, about being, you know, trashy novels, but it's a really good way to watch, to see women with agency and power, Mm -hmm. although there were limitations in those books. And I don't know if they're still being published today, but I get that. That makes a a ton of sense to me. And, and, and I really, you know, my mom was a polio survivor and, um, you know, her dreams were truncated and abbreviated in a lot of ways as well. She couldn't get a credit card when mm-hmm. she when she and my dad got married. And so I I think that those of us who had really intelligent, um, curious moms, I think that they planted 
seeds of possibility in us and you know lucky lucky us to have been their children yeah. huh yeah yeah so so are you really based in Lawrence Kansas I'm I'm no, a, no. I never believed the internet what did yeah. what was that about <laughs> rock chalk jayhawk rock chalk baby um <laughs> You know, I never knew much about Kansas until now. Um, so when I am actually, I, I live in outside of D.C. in Arlington, Virginia, and I've lived here for 30, I want to say 38 years now, 35 to 38 years. And um, and I love it. I love the city. I love the vibrancy. Yeah. I'm kind of over the politics, but let's not go there right now. But um, but when I took uh, this, we're job, going to have to. No, I don't. We're want going to have to today. But um, but when I took the I'll job, <laughs> when I took the job, um, the, the the organization was headquartered there. There's a long history behind it. But when the formation of the group was happening, the woman who was instrumental in it, her husband got relocated to Topeka, Kansas, Kansas, and therefore uh-huh. they bought a house in Lawrence, and we've been there ever since. So thank you, Linda Holloman, for putting our headquarters in in Lawrence, Kansas. Now I will say it's a lovely college town. The people are fantastic. Yeah. It's it's the heartland. You know you can't go yeah. wrong in the heartland. Um, and so I just travel back and forth. I've had an apartment in Lawrence for a number of years. So um, I go for a week at a time. Sometimes I'm there for two weeks. I've explored Kansas City. I have friends in Hayes. So I don't feel like I don't belong there. Um, yeah. it, it's it's sort of another home for me now. And so that's, and so now, and then, you know, I did that for our, almost five years and then the pandemic hit and everybody's everywhere now. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, that's that's true, and it's um, you know Kansas City. Welcome to Kansas City. Yeah. Um, I that's my hometown. My I was born there, and Lawrence is cool. You know, all of my friends from Wellsville High School went mm-hmm. to KU. Some went to K State, but we don't have to discuss that. <laughs> uh, but you know, you can't. There, there's nothing like a, a great college town like that. So mm-hmm. um, good, good to know that we have another touch point. I I know you just said you don't want to talk about politics, and and I want to respect that. Um, and so this isn't a setup, but my next question on the page, don't feel don't feel like I'm asking you to go anywhere you don't want to go. But um, in a 2021 Forbes interview, you said the following, quote, the situation for women has not significantly changed in 30 years, unfortunately. Wendy, given all that's happening today, this week, this month, this year, especially through the lens of you know women's reproductive rights, how are you processing this as a leader? who leads women Mm -hmm. and as an individual. Mm -hmm. So what I will say as being a leader is um, being a a leader as a woman and being a leader of an organization on behalf of women um, is it's really important to me. um, And we have 12,000 members globally to understand that um, everyone feels differently. They have their own opinions and perspectives about Mm -hmm. What's happening um, in our uh, with with regard to reproductive rights, um, and it's 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 to to me as a leader of our organization, um, we are focused on commercial real estate, and we are we're apolitical, um, bipartisan, neutral organization, yeah. just focused on women in commercial real estate. So we typically do not comment on those kinds of things because, and to me, this is the leadership in me is putting aside my own personal feelings about any. Um, court decisions, legislation, those kinds of things, um, I have to think of the whole. I can't think of either yeah. uh, faction. Yeah. And I have to also th- put my own personal feelings about it aside. Um, and and everyone has their own belief. Everyone has walked their own journey. And I yeah. feel like that we are honor-bound as an organization to respect that um, – that it is very um, perspectives throughout our organization. And so while uh, some folks would say, well, you need to make a statement, you need to make a statement, I say my statement is that we represent a diverse opinions and dif- diverse perspectives, and we need to respect that in our organization. Yeah, Wendy, I, I, I get that, and there's huge merit in that. And, you know, to, you know, my job is DEIB, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And you said something a second ago about, you know, belonging and, and what you've just, you know, kind of framed there about, about making sure that everyone's voices are heard and valued in the same way. Um, 
you know, in commercial real estate, it's one thing to get women into the positions um, that I don't want to say that matter because they all do, but into the positions of influence. That's one thing. That's the diversity. That's the equity right. piece. But in terms of the I, inclusivity, mm-hmm. and the B, in belonging, mm-hmm. how? what are your – do you have some kind of prescriptive – a to-do list, um, not just for other women in the industry, but for mm-hmm. for men who are great allies of women. Mm-hmm. Like because all of these people do have different opinions about whether it be reproductive rights or who sits in the White House or, you know, local policy, state policy, federal policy. How do you? What's your best counsel on the B of belonging? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so belonging has, so we have been on this DEI journey within our organization, started, you know, well before most of the rest of the world did, um, simply because as women, um, as gay women, as diverse women of color, we've already been talking about this so much in our organization and recognizing the importance, you know, everybody just wants acceptance. They want a place where they feel like they, these are my people. I can let my hair down and be myself. And from the time that I came on board at Crew, I felt like that is so important. And honestly, Shelby, I don't know if this is from my upbringing as well, but um, I was an outlier where I grew up. You Mm -hmm. know, I was Mm -hmm. was in in the popular girls and all of that, but I I just always felt like I belonged somewhere else. Like I didn't feel like um, I was totally accepted because I wanted to do my own thing without judgment. And I Mm -hmm. was judged constantly. And so when I came to crew, I thought, here, I have this opportunity for uh, to bring this attitude, this um, this disposition of everyone is welcome here because we all deserve to have a place where we can be our authentic selves and be embraced for that and celebrated, in fact, for that, not judged for that. And, the, you know, yeah. I, I recognize um, and am realistic that humans are judging machines. Um, right. But, but, but well you, said, yeah. You, yeah. you can, you can be intentional about saying, I'm not going to judge this person. I'm going to celebrate who they are, whether I agree with it or not, or like it or not. And I think that takes, you know, it's an, it's all about adult stage where you are in your adult stage as well, because when you are self-actualized, I think you are more able to say, um, I don't need to judge this person. I just need to accept this person. And whether I like it or not, or agree with it, not everybody has that mindset. So for me, and I will, I think most people would tell you from the time I came to crew, I wanted to make it a place where everybody felt it was their place. I belong here. And so as part, you know, and and we've done that. And I think we've shifted our brand and reputation away from being exclusively senior executive women um, and, and made everybody feel like they have a place. Now, do we have more work to do? Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I think that we are well on our way. And I think that that goes a lot to the type of leadership you have both at the, the um, global level and at the, the chapter level. And it's it's educating as well all the women around us to say, you know, it's not okay for you to pick people to be on your board who look like you or who act mm-hmm. like you, mm-hmm. who will share your um, you know, your party's, you know, uh, perspectives yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. You have to have people, and we we say this, and I, it's never lip service to me is, you know, having different perspectives around the table creates a richer conversation. And I think that, that it so ties yeah. to my, my whole journey around curiosity and embracing. Yeah. And I had a friend once who said, oh, how can you stand living in DC? There's so many people from other countries there. I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, it's the richest it place in the world. We can just learn for so much from other cultures and other yeah. people. Like that feeds everything in me. I, it just shocked me. Right. And so that's why I feel the way I do about crew. And so my thing to um, other leaders and to other individuals is, you know, stop the judging. Agree to disagree yeah. or uh, agree that you don't have to love who everyone is, but you can accept who they are. And and it's all about just respect. And, um, and I think that when you change that mindset, you create the environment where people say, and I, I always say this to my board, we're creating a place where people have their nose up against the window. And I'm, I'm demonstrating for the listeners, I'm pressing my hand up against my nose for Shelly going, everyone, I want everyone to say, hey, what's going on in there? I want to be part of that, or I need to get in there. And that's the organization that Crew has become today and will continue to grow in that direction. 
that just gave me chills. Oh, me um, too. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, I know you're a, a big fan of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're talking about here is like meeting people where they are, identifying that maybe they think differently, their worldview is differently, but that being a trigger to lean in further to them and ask them, you know, you know, who are you? You know, why do you think, you know, not in a, not in a uh, kind of interrogating way, but a curious way. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, you were involved in a radio show called The Story Hour, which is a public radio um, initiative, and it examines art and the impact of storytelling. And, you know, when I think about Little Wendy Mann, and I think about you're not only a great storyteller, but you're a story hearer. And I think that's perhaps the single most greatest hallmark of, of, a, of a great leader is, um, you know, it's great that we can communicate our stories and, and, and uh, share that. But to be able to invite and create an on-ramp for others to share their stories um, without judgment, without, you know, any kind of marginalization, that's a really powerful effort. And And I want to go back to when you said – in your little hometown, you were, you know, you were kind of popular, but you were also an outlier liar, and you were judged. Mm-hmm. What, what was the judgment? Yeah. What was the basis of that judgment? Well, um, thank you for bringing that up. You know, we all grow up and, um, you know, we talk about bullying now. Like, I think back in the day, like, that's how you developed your thick skin. Like, you had to put up with a lot. And and social media yeah. aside, it's a lot more difficult now. But, you know... Um, this is a weird story, but I'm going to tell you, and I, I, I don't know why it comes to I mind. I love weird stories. <laughs> but it, it, it just reminds me of, like, I remember as a young woman, um, it, as a teenager, you know, why did I have to like one boy? Why couldn't I like multiple boys and go out, you know, I could date different people. Yeah. And um, so this, go, this is going to get to the judgment part. And, um, you know, in a small town when, you know, everybody had a boyfriend and you had his ring and it was all very... 70s like and um um I was judged because I wanted to play the field and not be with one boy and not and it wasn't honestly it wasn't about sex at all because I honestly I don't think I knew what what sex was until I don't know maybe last week I don't know but (laughs) just joking (laughs) just joking but um but um you know I was a really naive teenager and I didn't really know yeah a lot of stuff. And um, so to me, it was just that very sweet boy. I liked a lot of boys. Well, I got judged for that. You know, I was, I was a slut. Mm. I was a whore. How can you Mm -hmm. go out with multiple boys? Mm -hmm. That's so bad. Um, um, I wasn't like the other girls. I wanted to do my own thing. And sometimes that meant, you know, um, just being out and, and loud and, and vocal. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I didn't stick to, you know, the cheerleader group or this group. And I I could move easily between, you know, the drug related people and the, the smart people. I mean, here I am, I'm an honor student. I'm in the top five of my class, but I liked everybody. (laughs) So, and I was curious. And again, I think it's the curiosity. I was like, I didn't want to, you know, do serious drugs, but I was like, oh, you know, why don't I try that and see what that's like? So I smoked a little pot. And by the way, I did inhale, so don't be shocked. Um, Yeah. (laughs) um, Well, you were curious about what another person's about what another person's experience was, and you sure. pressed your nose to the glass. Exactly. Maybe that's where I'm getting it. So, so when I talk about that, and and there were girls that really, I mean, in a small town, you know how it is. Rumors get around, stories get told, and mm. it really was yeah. a disservice. Um, but, you know, I look back on it now, and I don't really care. <laughs> because I left, and, yeah. and I went on with my life. And um, while it hurt me at the time, I almost, I almost didn't even care at the time, because I knew who I was and I had the confidence and believed in myself. And I didn't really care what other people thought about me. That might have been part detrimental to me at the time because I think um, people made judgments. But I honestly was like, well, what do I care what they say? And actually, I remember my mom saying to me, not everybody's going to like you all of the time. And I'm like, what? Mm. I'm so likable. Why what? wouldn't they? Li- I mean, I love me. Right. Why don't? Why wouldn't other people right. love me? Um, 
but she was very banal about things like that. Like, yeah, don't worry about it. Not everybody's. And, and I think maybe that's where I got some of that attitude was, um, look, you know what? I'm okay with being me and you can be you and yeah. you can judge me if you want. But someday I'm going to, I'm like Taylor Swift. Someday I'm going to leave this little old town. And when I come back, you're going to still have those same small minded thoughts. And I'm going to be yeah. famous or whatever she says in her yeah. little song that I love. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to be writing songs about you and getting Grammy yes. awards. Well, I'm going to be writing books about you, but same thing. Yeah. Let's talk about let now that you brought it back up. <laughs> um, you know, in my uh, and 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 our producer of the show, Caroline, um, we did quite a deep dive on you in the past few weeks, and um, w- we think you should write a book. And we want to know. We're nosy. I'm nosy. What's going on with the book? Do yeah. you have a title yet? You don't have to tell your yeah. title, but where are you on that path? Yeah, thank you. I really, really I appreciate so much your encouragement. It, this has been something I started in 2015, and it's just been a long time in coming. You know, aside from wanting to be Barbara Walters, I also thought I would be a writer. And, um, you know, again, things happen. But I think what really started me on the path of this book was just starting to reflect on life as we start to lose people in our life and and people start to pass Mm -hmm. away. Like my father died in 2015. And um, uh, that was a big, big thing for me to lose my father. But, you know, in addition to that, um, other people, you know, aunts and uncles and just even some young people, some colleagues, you know, friends and colleagues just starts making yeah. you reflect on um, where you've come from, you know, and it's made me start thinking like, wow, I'm I'm sitting here in this career um, and having had this really very rich life in so many ways. But I came from this really small place and this really I mean, mm-hmm. the chances were pretty slim that I'd get out and be where I am today, similar to you, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And similar to a lot of people, honestly, Shelley, the more women I meet who come from small town places who say, well, I'm the first to have a college education. And that was me. You know, I'm the first to have a career that's, you know, not in manufacturing. Um, And so I started reflecting on that and I started reflecting what makes us who we are. And Mm -hmm. so much of that really starts in those years between one and 18. And then I started reflecting on my mom and dad and their life journey and, you know, the, the struggles that they had, you know, they were teenage married a teenage marriage. They had um, six kids by the time they were 28. And my mom always yeah. likes to tell me that there was no birth control back then. And apparently, I don't even like to say it, but there was apparently a lot of sex. Um, <laughs> I know. That's, you, Good you for can them. Cut, you can cut that out. but <laughs> No, we will. That, In fact, that's our audiogram for oh, socials. Great. Apparently there was. Uh, um, and But but I, I mean, I've talked to my mom extensively, both growing up and as an adult, about their journey. And, you know, um, her family basically abandoned her at 17 after she Mm. had her first child. Um, Her mother was a mean, evil woman and um, decided that my father wasn't good enough for her and she did not want them to be married. And she cut the whole family off. So there my mom is. And I think about this. First of all, how do you do that to a child? How did her mother do that? Then I started thinking about my mother and how alone she must have felt. And I think that actually is the reason why she and my dad were such a a, um, deep, deep committed uh, love affair because they only had each other and they produced all these kids and and they were just making ends meet for so long in their life. No college education, no high school diploma. Um, yeah, my dad, I mean, he took on multiple jobs throughout our life and, you know, there were times when we were on food stamps and, um, and I will tell you, I never knew, I never knew we struggled. I never right. knew we were poor. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, we always had shoes on our feet. My mom made up most of our clothes for, at least for all the girls. And when did, did we grow up in the same house? I know, right. I know. I know. <laughs> this it's, is it's so crazy. But uh, this is why we have to meet in person and just spend a night together because I think you would it, for sure. But but so sure. but I always felt loved. I never knew that yeah. anything was different. I thought everybody lived like that. And so when you grow up that way, then you go out into the world and you discover that, you know, wow, you know, that was a struggle for them. It made me start reflecting yeah. on. So what is that story? And, and how do we as daughters, how do we mm-hmm. um what do we take with us? Like what, what did my mom's evil mother, what did my mom take from her 
that yeah, she brought yeah. into her marriage and into her raising children? And what did I take? And what are the things you leave behind that once you become adult that you recognize, boy, that is something I'm never going to do. And okay, of course, we all become our mothers eventually. But um, but but so I started really examining that in my mother's own story with her mother and then, of course, with myself. Yeah. And so I started writing the story that is loosely based on my my parents' story. And um, I'm probably three or four chapters in, and it's really a labor of love. Um, I don't put as much time into it as I should Monday through Friday because my job is my job is everything to me, and I love it so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but it's something that I feel really strongly about, and it'll be a fiction book. It's not going to be any kind of memoir, self help, but more fictionalized story. Because I think that women struggle their whole life to to be who they are and find who they are yeah. and and yeah. be accepted. Um, and, yeah. and when you build in those kind of stories about the mean girls or the judging or the abandonment, yeah. which I my mom felt like I, I can only imagine. Like I think about raising my own kids and and how that feels. And, and you have kids of your own, you know. Um, and, and you also came from that place of wanting acceptance and being authentically who yeah. you are. And, and that was really scary for you. Mine was more scary ignorance, right? I didn't know anything. So I come to the city and I go to my first really fancy dinner and I, I didn't know which fork you use for which thing. I didn't know which glass to you. And so I'm doing the, the bread, yeah. this, the bread and drink thing yeah. against the plate. Like, yeah. which should I yeah. use? The bandy. Do you, you all know so, I'm uh, holding up the symbols for B and D, you know, the symbols you do right. with your hands when when you're at a, a fancy dinner, if you don't know which bread plate is yours or which drink is yours, do the the left and right hand B and D, and you'll figure out. But um, so so like so it's this whole exploration. It's a reflection um, of of what, and I don't have a title, but what I always use to describe mm-hmm. it, my one liner is: What are the things that you take from your mother and go forward with, and what are the things you leave behind? And those mm-hmm. are sort of mm-hmm. the lessons learned. Um, and I think there's some deep emotional um, digging that's going to come out of the book. And um, and and I think will be very relatable to so many of us, whatever our journey oh, was. No doubt women and, and girls as well will see themselves in the story. I, I, I really had a sense that it would be a memoir. I'm I'm fine, Wendy. I'll be supportive <laughs> of, a, of, of fiction. Can um, you support and, you my know, fictionalized version? <laughs> I can't. I can't. I support you. I see you. I meet you where you are. Um, you know, and thinking about your mom and, and, you know, enduring that abandonment from her mother, you know, your mom is remarkable in that it didn't break her. It, it actually built her. I agree. And, and we got to be, you know, somewhat thankful about, you know, our rocky journeys because I, you know, I know mine's been rocky and I, I wouldn't, wouldn't have it any other way. It, it, it built me. It didn't break me. I thought at many points it would, but it didn't. It actually built me. Yeah. So you um, see that that relatability. Now, I will say to your point about memoir, my husband insists that I have to write a book about me at some point, about my journey. I, um, yeah. Because, you know, I, I I sit back and I think I'm the CEO of this global organization. I'm, I've had my radio show. I've um, There's so many things I accomplished. But if you go back to that little eighth grade girl sitting in her bedroom reading a Harlequin mm-hmm. romance... What were the possibilities? I mean, I don't even think it was a 50-50 chance that I would end up here. I grew up in the Not middle. Not even. Yeah, no. Like, <laughs> it like was a point like, zero zero. Okay. okay, then here's what I'm seeing. Wendy Mann signs multi-book deal with HarperCollins. How about that? Amen, sister. So, I'm down. Okay, right. Call me. Call so, me. What, <laughs> I love it. I'm going to be your agent. I can't let, wait. Let, let me, let's go back to, to crew. And, you know, you'd mentioned the 12,000 members strong, um, I think, in a dozen countries I would and and 70 plus markets where do you see the most kind of growth mm-hmm. in your membership base and can you and is that any indicator of kind of what's happening globally in terms of you know women in you know equitable positions yeah you know it's such an interesting um it's a, it's a great question and here's why because what I'm learning as we're going out is um it, the US is still the most ripe market. And the reason why is because um, the cultures of, of European countries remain still so, um, it's so significantly um, against, not against women, but the culture, women are so um, ingrained in the culture of not speaking up, not, um, yep. uh, not, uh, um, 
taking less. Taking less or accepting like and I'll give yeah. you, so we, when we launched in the UK in 2017, we were in an audience of 200 women came out to learn about this. And afterwards, the woman who was, the British woman who was helping us with formation there, um, I was like, oh, this was so great. The questions were great. And she goes, but did you notice? And I said, notice what? And she said, the only questions or the, the only people who asked questions in the audience, none of them were British women. They, one was Canadian and two were from the U.S. And here's the thing I need you to pay attention to is that culturally, women in, in, in Great Britain still um, are hesitant to speak up. They're hesitant to be vocal, hesitant to put themselves mm -hmm. out there. And it was sort of like for me being the uh, super um, feminist, like we can do whatever we want. We can have whatever we yeah. want. I believe in women kind of mentality I have. I was like taken aback. And but she was so right. Wow. And it's it's gone deeper. Mm -hmm. So so I think that our greatest growth opportunity is um, in the U.S. and and more diverse. We as an organization in the U.S. in, in, the, in the U.S. or the in the U.S. in, in yeah. Europe, what I'm finding is um, there are um, there's formation happening and conversations happening, but it's overcoming mm -hmm. the barriers and the judgments of others. Meaning, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm in conversation right now with Frankfurt, in Germany. And one of the things that I've learned is that um, women in Germany who work full time, whose husbands also work full time, the moms, the stay at home moms give grief to the working mothers going, how can you work? You have children, you should stay home. And so that's yeah, a cultural yeah, yeah. factor that women have to overcome and just yep. say, I'm okay with you not. And, and there's one significant executive woman who said to me, Wendy, I just made the decision that this is what I want to do for my life and my family. I need to let go of being concerned about what other people think, right? It goes back to that yeah. passing judgment. Um, that's right. And so I think that everywhere you go, it's a little different, but there's still a little bit more holding women back. But once they hear about crew and once they realize I can be in a place with other women that support me, that are going yep. to help me and I can be authentic and own my, my business acumen and they are like, mm -hmm. bring it mm -hmm. on. So right now yep. we're in conversation with Switzerland, Germany, Spain, Italy, and, um, we have a proposal in, in New Zealand and, you know, slower in Australia, but there's a lot of factors around yeah. that. I will say that the countries that are really difficult are still the ones that have a very dis, um, um, disproportionate um, male dominance, which is, you know, Mexico City. We are getting ready, hopefully, to launch there. It's very difficult yeah. for women. Um, India. Um, and some of the yeah, Asian yeah. countries, it's just, I think it'll take longer and it will have to work sure. harder. So that's sort yeah. of the global perspective we have for women right now. But I will tell you the energy and the excitement when they learn who we are and what we can offer is high. I mean, it's so, and they feel that energy in the room when we are having one of those events in their marketplace. Yeah. That's incredible. And, you know, Unispace, we, we operate in a lot of those, every region you mentioned and, and, you know, DEIB and conversations around women in the workplace is very different in India and Asia. Um, and then you do see some of those European countries that are just, um, you know, you mentioned there are actually women who have been upholding the patriarchy for generations, yes. right? Yes, yes. And and we have to recognize that and also, you know, understand that people are a product of right. their environment. Right. Um, I do want to mention, I was just in Zurich a couple of weeks ago for our Zurich. I marched with my Unispace team members in Zurich Pride, in the Zurich Pride Parade. And uh, it was my first time to our Zurich studio. We have a gorgeous space and i think that we should plan an event for crew uh in our zurich space <gasps> and hold a really yes. special event yes shall we do it yes i'm writing i'm writing a note down right <laughs> now shelly right. zurich right i i'm, I'm promising i'm not i'm you not gonna it. let you off the hook on that one or the or the book deals but but yes you got it that is um that's great because you know what um you know, that is probably a place that we will end up kind of coming around to and I've heard good things yeah. about that. I think that I actually met someone so we can we can have that conversation. And and Let's by the way, it. great for you for marching in pride with your colleagues out in in Zurich. That's awesome. It was exciting and it was the first time that we've done that at Unispace. Mm -hmm. You know, when I came to Unispace almost 2 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, we had um, you know, we were at the beginning of our journey. Of course, mm -hmm. Steve Quick brought me in and 
and said, we're going for this and we're doing it right and we mean it. And, you know, you used the word intention earlier. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the main tenant of, of you know, Steve's belief. Uh, it's not to say we don't have to deliver and do things. You can't sit around and just, you know, say I, I, I have intention. But to be able to go from where we were when Steve and I came aboard mm-hmm. to marching in the gay pride parade mm-hmm. in Europe with our okay. team, a lot of, we had, I think, 20 plus team members show up and march in 95 degree heat. And most of them aren't part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, they were yeah. straight allies. Yeah. So it's, yeah. you know, thank you. Thank you for seeing that. Yeah. Um, a quest- question for you. We've got a little segment here that Caroline and I, uh, again, Caroline's our producer. And as we created uh, Groundbreakers, we thought it might be fun to have a couple of little uh, Groundbreaker segments. The first one is called What's Your Weird? And what I'm looking for, Wendy Man, is a factoid about you that I was not able to dig up anywhere on the interwebs. What is something about you, your weird, that w- would surprise me? My weird. Wow. My this is uh, it's, I'm brutally honest here, and it's so embarrassing. And my husband and children will admire my vulnerability in telling you this, but um, I'm a, I'm an awful dancer. I'm an awful dancer, but I love to dance. So when I am at home, I put on music and I will dance and they, they howl laughing. I mean, it is, and sometimes they take video and share it with each other just to make fun of me. But I'm Um, like Elaine on Seinfeld. If you haven't seen the Elaine episode dancing, what they say, like my daughter and I went to a, a wedding together and my husband sent her a text and said, did mom dance? And she goes, oh, yeah, she pulled the Elaine out. <laughs> oh, so so that is I I'm a it. very bad dancer. And weird. I'm weird about it. And I do it anyway. And I'm like, OK, I don't care. Um, so I see this this uh, this unbridled this, you know, the thing your mom and, and your dad as well planted in you, this ability to see yourself and say, why doesn't every why wouldn't everybody love me? I love me. <laughs> If we can impart that and imbue that kind of feeling in girls and women around the world, we will be cooking with gas. I mean, I love that you can't dance and that you do it anyway. I am a non-dancer, but I don't do it. Oh, Um, So, I mean, again, again, we may we may have been separated at birth. So listen, when we get together, I'm going to we're going to I'm going to put on some music for us to dance. And I'm shocked as a singer that you're not a dancer, but I guess maybe it's one or the other. Uh, you know, I know most uh, performers and musicians. They because I, you know, I have rhythm. I can, I can, yeah. you know, I can play instruments in time, um, like a metronome. I can't. I have really big feet, Wendy, <laughs> like size eleven. Those are th- those are some respectable feet, right there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, as Minnie Pearl, I don't know if you know who Minnie I Pearl do. was. Um, the woman who wore the hat with the price tag on it. She she was my friend. She also had really big feet. And one of her jokes was when people said, Miss Minnie, what size shoe do you wear? She'd say, well, I wear a nine, but actually an 11 feels right. Um, <laughs> there you go. So move, moving, on. moving on to a, okay. a, another question. Wendy, what is a skill in your skill set today that comes most easily to you? And what's the skill that you use that you have to work the hardest at? So the skill that I have that comes most easy is public speaking. I know that freaks people out when I say that, but I love talking. I love being on the stage. I have no problem getting up in front of 1,200 people and telling stories. Um, Yep. Even I've seen you do it extemporaneously. Yes, yes, that is true. You know, scripted is really good, but you do it on fly better than most that I've ever seen. I think that's the storytelling history. The skill that I have to work hardest at is shutting my mouth. I mean, it's the opposite, right? Um, I, well, I ask a lot of questions and I'm a good listener. I still feel like I need to listen better um, and more often than I do. So I would say that, you know, good leaders are good listeners and it's something that I work at every day. And I've really been more intentional about just in the last maybe 10 years um, but you know, no excuses, but I grew up in a family of, of eight people and listening was not our, sh- <laughs> our, uh, our, um, skill set. And so, um, so I would say you had that to get a word in yeah. edgewise, yeah. right? Yeah. 
same goes with around the dinner table, right? Yeah. Food didn't sit on the table for long. Yeah. You, yeah. you stuck your fork in your pork chop yeah. real fast, yeah. right? You got the yeah. food and you got out of there because if you didn't, someone else was going to take the next serving or the last serving. So yeah, there was yeah. food. Mm. Uh, on that on that point of leadership, if if there are three hallmarks of a great leader, one being, as you just mentioned, a really good listener, what are the other two? As uh, in 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 the view of Wendy Mann, um, great leadership, listening, being able to articulate the vision, mm. and being able to inspire those around you. You know, I, I have um, little quotes on my desk that um, that I read every day and, and I they never get old. Leadership is not about creating results. It's about inspiring others to create results. So when I say that, I wow. think it's, it's yeah. you know, if I can articulate the vision and I can inspire them, then they can help move the vision forward. And so I think that Love would it. be the top three things I would say. That, that's really good. Who, who who is that? Who's that quote attributed to? Do you know, or is that your quote? Oh, no, I wish it, I wish I said something famous. Um, no, I I actually don't have the attribution. You will, <laughs> you will in your two <laughs> books, right? Um, I don't have the attribution here, um, but um, the other one I really like, and this sort of pertains to my book, which is um, Kierkegaard is um, life needs to be lived uh, going forward, understood looking backward. That's not exactly it. But that, that, that kind of, mm. you know, and that's sort of what I do a lot of is um, I, I used to be a ruminator, right, which is such a bad mm. habit of uh, women have it fundamentally, but um, everybody can be ruminators, which is, you know, it's a negative feeling of going over and over situations. How could I have done this better? What could I have mm-hmm. said better? But now, as I've evolved as a human being and as a leader and as an executive leadership coach, I, I find myself very reflective, and so that's why I like that mm-hmm. Kierkegaard quote is like, you know, you're you're living forward, but you really don't understand what you're living until you reflect backward. And um, and I, I should dig that quote out and put that up on my my thing. But that's sort of where I think the only way to become a better leader is to to be reflective and 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 honest with yourself. Yeah, love it, love it, Wendy. No doubt. You, you know, you're a woman in who, who's been in a lot of different industries and you've had, um, you know, up close pressing your nose on the glass of, of a lot of different sectors and uh, types of industry. Um, and you're a wom- woman and you, you know, and I, I'm looking for if you had to identify the most challenging work experience and it doesn't have to be you know that a, a man did something it mm-hmm. very easily could be that a woman got in your way um or dispirited you or diminished you what is that what is that one thing that you cite as that was the most difficult experience in my professional career oh shelly you're gonna make me cry um i i, I know immediately I what i know i'm a I'm a crier. I'm going to be honest with you. I actually um, feel like sometimes it's a, having a good cry is very cathartic. Um, I will tell you, I know exactly when it was. I was in my 40s and I was um, passed over for a promotion and it it really freaking broke my heart and it broke me. It broke my spirit. It mm-hmm. broke my soul in some ways mm-hmm. because, you know, you're going along in life and you think, like I thought, that... I'm very lovable and and I'm good at what I do yeah. and I earn my way and I contribute and I'm helpful and um but I was also could be too direct um and and I'm not I know women get that a lot you know there's no such thing as being direct if it was a man it would be you know he would be you know a, it would be a different perspective but right. but I was I mean I was uh, a sort of a very um just throw it out there kind of person and what I learned was that yeah. Um, it was very hard for me. I mean, I, I cried over that for a long time, but I could have, I could have gotten up the next day and quit the job and said, screw this. Um, I'm moving on, but I made a different choice and I am so glad that I did. I said to myself, you're going to stay in this job and you're going to reflect on this and you're going to figure out what could have mm-hmm. what you could have done at the, cause you know, in those situations, it's really easy for people to blame you know, this happened and that person was friends with them and that, and, and I didn't, I took it all on me. I said, you know, there has to be something about me that is wrong or that needs to be addressed 
because I was so perfect mm-hmm. for that job. And what I learned was uh, through that reflection and through real self-examination and evaluation of the situation overall was that um, I don't play politics and, or I didn't play politics at work. And I just, you know, was one of those women who I put my head down. I worked really hard. I made, I had delivered results and I learned that you need to pay attention to politics. You need to pay attention and Mm -hmm. to relationships that while you on the surface may think they're good, may not be, but also what's going around on around you. And, and you need to, um, and be self-aware of what is acceptable in every environment, in every relationship you're in, in the business world. And I was not nurturing those relationships. I, um, I was, um, and I had a lot of good relationships. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like I was a bull in a china shop. It was more that I wasn't empathetic and sensitive where I needed to be. And so I needed to really work on that. Um, But I stayed there for three years, just feeling broken. And, you know, um, Mm -hmm. like I said, I mean, for a lot of people, their job is just a job. But for me, so much of my identity and who I am is wrapped up in what I do. And so it was it was soul searing for me. And um, and I had to really revive my soul and be okay with a really hard lesson of of this. And, and, you know, I'll tell you, I have a friend who who was like, what's the big deal? Just get another job. But to me, it was I can't go on until I figure out. Yeah. And and, and so I I think from a a life lesson standpoint, a lot of people just keep going on and no one stops them and says, wait, here's why, you know, and I I had bosses before that could have stopped me, could have helped me and mentored me um, to do better and be better. And they passed me by. It was almost like, you know, a teacher who passes a student on with uh, the lowest grade possible. And it just makes them suffer later when they can't achieve. And for me, that's what I feel like in in reflection that so many of my bosses could have done a better job mentoring me and helping me get beyond that. To get to my 40s with so many good bosses behind me, it made me very disappointed. On the other hand, I I said, okay, let's let's delve into this, Wendy, and let's do better. Let's be different and, and go forward. So. That you, thank you for sharing that story, and that and that you sat in that space and got self reflective, and then held yourself accountable. Yeah. You know, I, for for me, and when I think about leadership qualities, accountability is a, is a huge one, and and you know, to the point of all of the teachers who have had graduated yeah. you with you know a lower score, meaning the bosses yeah. who probably had yeah. opportunities to help you nip and tuck mm-hmm. and tweak mm-hmm. your you know the way your ways. Um, can we talk, uh, I know I, I want to be mindful of time, but I think we're okay. Um, I want, can you talk a, a, a bit about crew and the, you know, that component of crew, that mentoring yeah. and that kind of modeled behavior. And again, I love that crew is not just C-suite leadership. It's, it's top down, bottom up, left to right. I, I love that. And, and I know cr- mentoring and career development is a huge part of what yeah. y'all do. Right. And that is probably what, well, it's one of our four pillars is, um, you know, career development for women is we want women to, to be ready, poised when the opportunities come along. Um, and I think that what I have brought to this whole conversation around mentoring and, and sponsorship and to women in general is be honest with yourself because so many women are, are, you know, we're ready to blame um, situations and other people versus just admitting where we could do better. And so for us at Crew, you know, mentoring and asking, we tell women all the time, ask for a mentor in your company, ask for a sponsor in your company. That is what you need to do. Um, Your mentor is different. So the mentor is going to help you as in an advisory role and encourage you and help you with your career development. The sponsor, on the other hand, is really someone who advocates for you at the table when your voice isn't there. They can advocate for you for promotions, for opportunities, for bigger projects that will help you um, advance. Whereas a mentor is really more of a day-to-day, I would call like an operational operations kind of person advising you on daily situations and how to handle them. Get both. I tell people have both a mentor and a sponsor, um, but start with the sponsor if that's the best you can do and really use that time to be honest and say, here's here's what I've done or here's what happened. 
um, help me sort through this. Um, I didn't I didn't really have that specifically in my career, but I could see how it would have made a huge difference. And the other thing is, is to the to the people that pass you on and don't help you. I think they're cowards. Mm-hmm. And and most all of my bosses were men. And I hate mm-hmm. to say this, but I think they were cowards. They didn't want to address or they didn't know how. Now, granted, I came up in the ranks in the 80s and 90s where coaching and mentorship and all of that wasn't as prevalent. But you have to be right. courageous, you know, both from the mentor yeah. and the mentee standpoint to help someone really explore and address things that will help them do and be better. The ability for a leader to, you know, face their fear of coaching someone or not knowing what to say, um, that ability is not a nice to have. It's a has to have. And, you know, I I continually ask myself kind of a – I talk to myself a lot, you know, when I'm on my walk or whatever. I've I've always had dialogues with myself. And one of the questions I ask is, is someone in a leadership position because they're a great leader or they – called a leader because they happen to be in that leadership position. And, you know, a requirement, especially today in the world today where we have a much more discerning um, workforce with a higher expectation of career development, of company values aligning with their own, a leader does have to be able to have those hard conversations. Listen, uh, articulate vision, empower and inspire, um, have empathy. Um, so, you know, I think we have to kind of reconsider who our leaders are and, and our leaders need development Correct. too. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. agree with that. And I will say that, you know, one of the things that I know from my own experience is that when I would have a performance review when I was younger, my first 10 or 15 years in in the professional world, um, I had the, my favorite boss of all time, Steve Carey. He would write these really beautiful reviews and I would cry because he would say, you need to work on this. And he finally, one year he said to me, Wendy, I say all these wonderful, I acknowledge all these wonderful things. And then there's one thing that you get upset about. He's like, this is not a big deal. This is something you need to work on. And so what that taught me was that a performance conversation does not have to be a a negative conversation. It should be a very productive and like I look forward to writing reviews and giving reviews because I think it's an opportunity. And that's how we have to look at them as an opportunity to bring awareness to someone that may not have awareness. And if you can do that, you're right, crucial conversations um, and difficult conversations, they are the best thing. And and for leaders to develop a skill in doing that is paramount. I mean, and and empathy goes a long way in all of that. Sure does. What What are your other three pillars? Now you've got my. I know I've I've clicked through every bit of the crew website. The four, but can you yeah, share the, with uh, our listeners? The four pillars of Crew Network are: we were founded as a business network, um, first and foremost, for women to give and get business for and to one another to raise their stature in the industry back when they had nothing, no seat at the table, no voice. So in 1989, the business networking was started. Leadership skills development is our second pillar. We believe in developing women's leadership skills so that when they have opportunities for um, promotions, that they are poised and ready for those promotions because many of them have excellent um, technical skills, but a lot of the leadership skills we can teach. Um, And the third pillar is our research. We're the only industry organization that's benchmarking the status of women and other Mm. um, diverse uh, groups of people in the industry. And finally, then our career outreach, our talent um, focus is our fourth pillar. That's amazing. And how would people find Crew? You can find us on the interweb. You can find us on the internet at crewnetwork.org. And everything you need to know or see about us would will be available to you there. Um, and I think that uh, you can call anyone at any time in crew and uh, they'll be happy to talk with you. Wendy, don't be thinking this interview is over. Like uh, we do have a little bit left and what where we are now is the fire round. Another groundbreaker special. What I'm going to be doing is coming at you, coming in hot with five questions. I don't want you to spend a lot of time thinking about them, okay? okay? I am ready. (laughs) What is your favorite board game? Oh, um, uh, you know, dominoes. 
Number two, finish the phrase, the way to my heart is... Through a good story. Number three, what is your go-to snack? Um, wine and chocolate. <laughs> yes. Number four, do you prefer driving or flying? Driving. Number five, what trait most defines who you are? Uh, I, I don't know if this is what you mean, but I would say my curiosity. That's I, w- I was going to answer that for you if you didn't have have one. All right, num- and this is our last Groundbreakers segment, and it's called If I Could, I Would. So, for instance, my answer to If I Could, I Would, it would be draw or dance. I wish I could do those things. I already think I know your your answer, but what is what is Wendy Mann's If I Could, I Would? If I could, I would write my book. No, I I can do that. Um, actually, it's funny because I always used to say, if I could, I would um, uh, be a, a reader and a writer. Um, I can see myself sitting on a beach reading books and writing books um, as my next career journey. Um, so, Wendy, I, I can see that, too, <laughs> very easily. Wendy Mann, I want to thank you for being here with us on Groundbreakers. We have covered so many important topics from storytelling, story hearing, leadership, perseverance, self-reflection, confidence. Real, we've, we've wow. covered it all. Dancing, <laughs> um, book writing. I it has been an absolute joy and honor to speak with you and to talk to know more about the Crew Network. Um, I'm excited about Unif- Unispace's um, forthcoming relationship with Crew. We cannot wait to have our women and um, you know some of some of the men in our mm-hmm. company have such a, a meaningful touch point with Crew. I can't thank you enough for your time today. Be well. Uh, be safe, and I will see you for a sit-down meal as soon as possible. Thank you, Shelley. I look forward to it. Wonderful to be with you today, and thanks so much uh, for bringing crew to Unispace and um, vice versa. We are looking forward to that as well. And if I don't see you before then, I'll see you in Zurich. You got it. It's a date. That's a hard hard date. date. Put that on the calendar. Thank you so much. Again, Wendy Mann, the CEO of Crew Network, uh, thanks so much for joining Groundbreakers. Thanks for tuning in to Groundbreakers, y'all. It's been a pleasure. A special thanks to the -the behind-the-scenes folks that share my passion and vision for our Groundbreakers series. Writer and producer, Caroline Jones. Engineer, Michael Pelliquin. And the Airs Next and Unispace teams. Despite the many ways our careers and lives may differ, we are all affected by how our environments impact diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. We all have so much to learn from one another, and I appreciate you taking this ride with me. Don't forget to subscribe to Groundbreakers. Tune in and share with your colleagues, your friends, and your families. Talk soon. Talk to me.